Hey, good morning. Let's do better than that. I need some energy this morning. Good morning. That's better. Uh, I'm, yeah, I need your energy because this week's been a bit crazy. Uh, my, my mother had her 60th birthday party this past Wednesday in upstate New York, and so we flew into Burlington, Vermont on Wednesday. I don't know if you've paid attention to the weather, but they got a bit of a blizzard on Tuesday, um, and so we were rather nervous whether we were going to make it in. We did, um, just barely. We were the first flight that was allowed into Burlington um, on Wednesday. Uh, we arrived and they had 34 inches of snow. That is a lot of snow. And so we, we got our rental car and we just, we thought we we're hungry. We we're going to head downtown to Burlington, Vermont. And literally as we're heading, down, heading downtown, there are, there's snow everywhere. Cars are sliding into snow banks. People have shovels. They're getting stuck on the main road and they've got shovels trying to dig out their car. And I thought, what have we gotten ourselves into? Like, we're never going to make it. But we made it. We made it back. Um, and so now I'm here with you today, so I'm excited. A couple things. Um, we're in the middle of a, a series called The Year of Biblical Literacy, and we're spending three weeks looking specifically at the book of Judges. So we started off by talking about hermeneutics, right? How we read scripture. Uh, and so if, you've just, if you're new to the church, I'd really encourage you uh, to go back and listen to those couple sermons, kind of understand how we read scripture. And then we spent six weeks looking at the story of God, kind of this overarching story. And, and then we, we're diving into a specific book. And I could have chosen 100 books. So there's nothing particular about the book of Judges outside. I think there's some really powerful messages for us to hear here in this book. But what I want us to do over these next couple weeks is to is partially I want to encourage you to read the scriptures yourself. So today I'm going to tell a bit of a story, and I'm not going to finish the story. Uh, I want you to actually to figure out, find out what happens by going and reading the, the, the text yourself. The other thing I want for you to do is to be a bit shocked. Last week, if you were here, the, the story's crazy. I mean, I, tons of people came up to me afterwards and said, I had no idea that story was in the Bible. Or we sometimes think we know everything that's in there, and I want us to be, sometimes be to, to realize that there's more there than we actually realize. And then the other thing is, I want us to have a playfulness with the, the scriptures. Um, we often read the Bibles as this very static story or this very static text. But many of this, the stories in Scripture, particularly in the Hebrew Scriptures, come from an oral culture. And they're often these stories are said with a twinkle in the eye or with an inflection that we miss. And so to, to read, as you're reading the stories, look for where maybe the author is, has a, there's a bit of comedy or something, that's a, something that we don't expect. So last week, if you just were to read the story last week, you would come away thinking that maybe God was ordaining this genocide. Because right? if you read the text just on a, a surface level, it appears that God ordains this genocide. And then the very last line of Judges flips the entire text. Right? The very last line of Judges shows that Everything that came before it, there's kind of judgment that's being offered on what came before it. So does that make sense, uh, how, what, we're kind of do, what we're doing? A couple other things. Um, I am always listening to podcasts or reading something crazy, um, and I'm going to try to get better about tweeting what I am reading and listening to, um, so I, because apparently that's what, what people do these days. Twitter's really important, big, I, I hear. Um, so uh, it's going to be big. Um, <laughs> So, um, but seriously, because part of the reason I was thinking about this is I just listened to a podcast this week um, on the importance of singing. 
as I, as I was listening to our voices, uh, as we sang as one, I, I thought about this podcast that talked about the power of, of singing with other people and how it lowers the cortisol levels in your brain, reduces stress, and, and that when you sing with other people and you're all singing as one, that you begin to breathe together. And, and you literally are united with the other people in the room. It's something really powerful that happens when we sing, which is why since the earliest days of the church, when we have gathered, we have sung songs together. So anyway, I was listening to a podcast talking about the science of this, right? because why can't I just enjoy the moment of singing? Why do I need to know the science of it? It's because it's who I am. So if you are also broken and messed up, uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Um, what was he? Uh, Kevin Lum is the Twitter handle. Uh, what, I had one other thing. It was so important, I can't remember. Uh, just the Washington Interfaith uh, Network meeting this week, I really encourage you. A, a number of you have said, I love that the Table Church does uh, a food justice ministry, but I want to get a bit more involved in advocacy. And, and, and for me, I'm not a huge fan of interfaith dialogue. I mean, it's not a bad thing, but like, I just don't spend a lot of time on it. But what I do love is interfaith action, where people from different faith traditions can come together and work for a better city. And so the Washington Interfaith Network is a collection of, of people across the, the faith background who work to hold elected officials accountable on things like affordable housing, on immigration reform, or protection of immigrants in our city. And so if you wanna take that next step and get involved in advocacy, I'd really encourage you to uh, show up on Tuesday night. Next Tuesday night. Don't show up this Tuesday. It'll be dark. Um, okay. So I, I'm still not starting the sermon. Uh, in fact, if you are not a church person or someone drugged you here and you're just being nice or, um, or you heard that there's really attractive people here and you're hoping that one of us will date you, um, can you pay attention to this part of the sermon? Because I know when the sermon normally starts, you check out, you pull out your iPhone, you start making the to-do list for the week. Um, if that's you, if you're like suspect of preachers, the guys with the microphone up front, this part is okay. You can trust me on this part because I'm not preaching yet. Um, the Lenten season, I try to, during the Lenten season, I try to get you to, to ask yourself a question or to ask yourself a number of questions. And I alluded to it at the end of this, the end of this week or last week. Um, but this is for you, whether you're a Christian or a Jesus follower or you're just here because someone drugged you here, I, I would hope you would ask your, I want to ask you this question and I want you to ask yourself it. You don't have to do it now. You can do it this week. Do it tomorrow morning when you're in the shower. I don't know, whenever you, whenever you ask yourself questions. Um, what kind of person do you want to be? What kind of person do you want to be? Or to put it another way, what do you want people to say behind your back? You know this. People talk about you. Right? They do, right? It's not bad. It's not nefarious. But when you leave the rooms, your friends talk about you. Or when you, when you go home to be with family and then you fly back to D.C., your family is sitting in the living room and they're talking about you. Right? When, when you're at work and, and then you, you leave um, the office and your coworkers are still hanging out, they talk about you. And it's not, not necessarily, it's not bad. It's just what people do. You do the same thing. You talk about other people. You say, you know, that Kevin Lum, he is such a sweetheart. If I could be as nice as that guy. <laughs> right? we, we talk about, and, and so what do you want people to say about you? Like, what kind of person do you want to be? Or put it another way, who are you becoming? And, and this still isn't the sermon yet, but I want to ask us this question what if you decided, what if you decided that you were going to be an extraordinary person? 
What if you decide that you're going to be an extraordinary person? Now, by that, I don't mean being extraordinary at doing something, right? Actually, that tends to make you a grade-A narcissist often, right? Because if you were an extraordinary, like, runner, right, you have to tell everyone, did I tell you what my marathon time was? Two, two hours and 59 minutes. Or, like Paul Ryan, you make it up. But anyway, um, <laughs> it's, I, I just found that really funny. He's like, yeah, I don't remember what my time was. Maybe two hours and 15. If you run a marathon, you know what your time was. Anyway, it's... It has nothing to do with sermon. These things pop in my head and I say them. Sometimes I need a filter. Okay. Um, right. It's not about being extraordinary at doing something, right? Because that doesn't make you a great person. But what if you were an extraordinary, decided to be an extraordinary person? What if you decided to be an extraordinary employee or boss or spouse or an extraordinary friend? What if you just asked, you, you can't do this forever, but what if just for one week you asked yourself this question? What would an extraordinary person do in this situation? I know what a normal person would do. Right? I know what the average person would do. But what would it look like for me to be an extraordinary employee? What would it look like for me to be an extraordinary boss or partner? And, and I believe that if you were a Christian... We're getting to the sermon part now, so if you, you can check out if you want. Um, if you were a Christian, or if you were a follower of Jesus, that, that you are compelled to live an extraordinary life. Because if you're a Christian, you believe that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You believe that, that God has given you a unique purpose and that, that you are loved. And that you are loved and you are called to invest that love in other people. And you believe that Jesus has enabled you to live differently. That Jesus has enabled you to live in a new way. And so if you are a Christian, you should wake up every day with this question on your mind. And you can rephrase it. Extraordinary is just kind of cute, right? But you can rephrase it. But like, what, what does it look like to be an extraordinary person? I know what a normal person person would do. I know what a normal parent would do. I know what a normal employee would do. I know what a normal boss would do. But what does an extraordinary version of me do? Now, I hope what we've done here has created a bit of tension. Some of you are saying, I don't think that's in the Bible. Nowhere does it call me to be an extraordinary person. He's, he's putting words in the mouth of scripture. Or um, I, 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 don't, I don't agree with them. I don't think I need to be an extraordinary person. Normal or average is just okay. But, but I hope that the tension that we're creating helps us hear this text that we're going to explore today a bit better. Because I believe it's the exact same tension that we find in the book of Judges, and particularly in the story of a guy by the name of Gideon. So just quick backdrop. Um, in the desert of Abraham, or in the desert... God comes to a guy by the name of Abraham, and, he, and God says, look, Abraham, um, if you follow me and you are faithful, I will make you great, and I will make your family great, and through you, your descendants will be a great nation, and they will have a land to call their own. Then we fast forward the story, and they find themselves in, in slavery in the land of Egypt. They're there for 400 years. Then they are led out of Egypt into the desert. They're led out of Egypt into the desert, and then because of their own brokenness, they wander around in the desert for 40 years. And then finally, um, the book of the law ends with them on the verge of inheriting the land, the promised land that they've been hoping and longing for. 
And then Joshua leads them into the promised land. And from the time that Joshua leads them into the promised land till, um, till the Davidic empire, like King David, the good old days, the, the, kind of the high point in Israel's history, there's a 330-year period called the Judges. And this 330-year period called the Judges is, is a period where God was supposed to be their king. God was supposed to be Israel's king. He has called them to live differently. He has given them a unique purpose. And essentially the purpose of Israel is this, that their life, the way that they live together would be so extraordinary, it would be so compelling that all the nations of the world would say, we want to live like they do. We want to live, be a nation of peace and love and justice and kindness because we see how extraordinary their life is. Of course, that's not how the story goes. In fact, instead of being an extraordinary nation, once they go into the land, they inherit the land and there's other people kind of hanging out left in the land and they begin to look and they're like, wow, that looks nice. And they become distracted by shiny objects. And one of the things, the phrases that we find uh, through this portion of scripture is that they wanted to be like all the other nations. So God had called them to called them to be extraordinary, to, to, to be unique, to be set apart for a unique purpose, and they just wanted to be like everyone else. And when they got into the promised land, they did exactly what most of us do. Instead of looking up, we start looking around, saying, I would sure love to have some of that. I would sure love to be able to have that car or that job or that power or that position or whatever the thing in your life that kind of pulls you away. And, and, and God says, no, look, you will dilute your influence if you become like all the other nations. You are not created to be like everyone else. You have been set apart for a purpose. And so they started worshiping the idols that their neighbors were worshiping. And they started worshiping pagan gods. And, and so in, this, in Judges, it is this cycle of disobedience, right? They worship the pagan gods, disaster falls. And then what they end up doing is they, is they cry out to God and they're like, we, we messed up again, will you deliver us? It's a cycle of disobedience, um, disaster, and deliverance. Disobedience, disaster, and deliverance. It's a circle. And one of the things that amazes me as I read this story is, is that God delivers them over and over again that God is merciful he does not protect them he does not protect us from the choices that we make but God is always compassionate and just or compassionate and merciful when we call and, and, and at some point as I'm reading these stories I actually get a little bit frustrated with God I'm like, just let them hit rock bottom. They need to get a little piece of their own medicine. Right? They, you know, they, need to, they need to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. But there's something so merciful and compassionate about the way that God works with them. And so there's a story that we're going to look at, a guy by the name of Gideon. Does anyone ever heard the story of Gideon? Um, it's a phenomenal story. Judges 6 is where it starts. Uh, and so I want to tell you a bit about this story, but I'm not going to actually even read my favorite part. And so I hope this week that you will go and read the story of Gideon. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, the table, we'd love to gift you one. We have like a stack of them that we'd gift to you. Also, if you're like me, you can just download a Bible app. Um, version is phenomenal. There's like 7,000 different versions on there. Just choose your favorite one. They're all pretty good. Um, someone asked me what version I preach from. I've started trying to put it on the slide so you know um, which one we're preaching from. So anyway, okay, so the story. 
So Gideon is a judge, and he's a fairly good judge. And up until this point, there has been a seven-year period where we're going to jump, giving a little background. There's a seven-year period where Israel has been oppressed by the Midianites. The Midianites are kind of like distant cousins to Israel, and, and things have gotten so bad that um, things have gotten so bad that people have kind of run to the hills and are living in caves. And so, after seven years of oppression, finally Israel decides that they're going to stop being stubborn, and they basically all do like a, a group call with with God. They all get on the the phone and they call and they're like, "Hey, we are really sorry." And everyone in the background, "No, we're really sorry. We won't ever do this again. We're getting rid of all the other gods." We are going to serve you. And so once again, God shows them mercy. And God begins the process of restoration by calling this guy by the name, by calling Gideon. So we pick up the story in, 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 in Judges chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. And the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he, he, for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. And because of the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelter for themselves in mountain-class caves and strongholds. In fact, we're just going to skip this part, but if you read, like, it got so bad that it says basically the Midianites were camping in their fields and just destroying everything. If they were destroying their flocks, they were destroying um, their, their crops. I mean, they were just wiping everything out. And and Midian so impoverished Israel that they cried out for the Lord's help. Because they they realized, look, we can't keep going on this way. And God is merciful and and says, "I'm, I'm going to rescue you. And so then we read that the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah, which is really close to Oprah, that belonged to Joash, I was trying to distract you so you don't realize I'm going to mispronounce this next word. Belonged to Joash, the Everizite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat. He was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So normally when you are threshing wheat, what you're doing is you um, you want to be up above. You want to be on the ground threshing the wheat and the chaff and everything kind of flies away. But he is... In a uh, this guy named Gideon, he's threshing wheat, but he's he's kind of a coward, and so he is hiding down. Wine presses were kind of below ground, and he's either in a barn or in this below ground wine press, like kind of ducked down, hoping that no one notices them. They're chaffing wheat. So here he is. He's he's there. Uh, he ch- he's they're doing stuff with wheat. I can't even say the word anymore. He ch- chaffing, chaffing. He's there doing stuff with wheat. It's gonna drive me nuts. Um, Anyway, and an angel appears to him and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And you've got to imagine at this moment, this guy, get the image, wine press, he's like crouched down, scared to death, and an angel shows up and said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So just forget about the fact that an angel shows up, which is kind of freaky in of itself. Gideon has to be looking around, he's like, where's the mighty warrior? Who are you talking to? Who are you talking to? Now, for some of you, you're not in a wine press, but you're hiding out. You've lost sight of who you are. You've forgotten how good God has been to you. You moved to D.C. to do something extraordinary, 
and, and you've allowed yourself to become like everyone else around you. Right? You're, you're hiding out. And, and God shows up and he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And you're like, uh, who are you talking to? Like, do you know what I did this past weekend? I, I essentially vegged out on Netflix. I am not a mighty warrior. You got the wrong person. Maybe you have dementia, God, or something. Have you been paying attention to how I've lived my life? Have you been paying attention to the missed opportunities? Have you been paying attention to the way that I've only lived for myself? Do you know how far away I've drifted? The Lord be with you, mighty warrior. And then, I love this. Gideon's response, he's very polite, and I want to offer you this, to you this to you as a new way to pray. He says, pardon me, my Lord. He's so polite, right? Next time you pray, start your prayer that way. Pardon me, pardon me, God. Um, it's, it's Kevin. Pardon me, my Lord. But if the Lord is with us, the nation, I love this line, if the Lord is with us, the nation, why has all this happened to us? The same question that you ask yourself, 3,000 years ago, people were asking themselves the same question. God, if you're God, I've heard all the stories, I've heard the testimonies, I've read of the miraculous things that you've done. If you're God, why, why haven't you done anything? If the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to this? And he says, where are all of his wonders? God's wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Do not, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? You have to imagine Gideon has heard these stories under this time of oppression. He's heard this crazy story of a God who literally parted the Red Sea and they walked on dry ground. Of a God who helped manna come down from heaven and feed them for 40 years. And now they are under an oppressive regime and they are scared for their life. Where are all of the wonders that our ancestors told us about? And he says, but now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. Essentially, what, what Gideon is getting at is, first of all, you just need to know, I'm not a mighty warrior. I'm not so sure that God is mighty. This isn't working out. It sure isn't like what it used to be. And I'm really not sure I believe in all those stories I heard anyway. And then the Lord turned to him and said, go in strength. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. And at this point, Gideon has to be thinking, not only did you get the wrong person, but you have a hearing problem. Did you not hear? We just got uncovering that I'm not a mighty warrior. And second of all, you haven't done anything for us lately, so I don't think you're really going with us. How is this going to work? So again, pardon me. Pardon me, my Lord. But how can I save Israel? 
My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. So what he's saying is, look, I'm not from a famous tribe. In fact, I went to junior college and I flunked out. Right? I, I, am, I, I joined Facebook and the only person that followed me was my mother. Right? I am, you've got to understand, not only am I not a great and mighty warrior, right? you got that wrong, but I'm not even, a, I'm, I'm kind of a loser. I am from the least tribe and in that tribe, I'm from the least group. I'm from the least family. I am a nobody. And the thing that I love, and the thing, if you take nothing else away from this, this sermon today, I want you to take this away. That God sees us differently than we see ourselves. God sees us differently often than even the people around us see us. Gideon, it goes kind of like this. The, the, the conversation goes kind of like this. Gideon, do you see yourself like a warrior? No, no, I do not. Well, you are. No, you need to hear me. I'm not a warrior. I, in fact, I'm not only I'm not a warrior, I am a loser. And God's like, no, no, you, no, you are. See, so many of us have allowed our perception of ourselves to be based on our brokenness or on our failure or on what other people have told you about yourself, whether it be your parents, or whether it be a friend, or a boss, or whatever it might be, you've allowed your perception to be shaped by other people. And what I want you to know is that God sees you differently than you see yourself. I wish, sometimes I wish that I had like a, a magic prayer or a wand, and for 30 seconds, for 30 seconds, you could see yourself the way that God sees you. There's this verse in the, in the New Testament that says this, that in the end, we will see ourselves the way that God sees us. And so, so Gideon, so the Lord answers Gideon. And he says, look, Gideon, I will be with you. Gideon, I will be with you. And there's this defining moment in Gideon's life God does not offer him, this is, if you go and read the story, what you find is there is not superpowers, right? God does not wipe out the, Gide the, uh, the Midianites with, like, uh, with the strike of his hand. It's not like, you know, blowing people over with one wave. In fact, what God ends up doing is he whittles down the army over and over again, trying to show, look, I, I, I don't operate by might and by power. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't even give him like a book of war strategy, all he says is, would you simply live like a person who's confident that God is with you? Would you live as a person, like a person who's confident that God is with you? 1,300 years later, because, first of all, let me step back. Some of you, I'm saying this is a really nice speech. It's great. I'm extraordinary. God sees me as extraordinary. But I, I don't think you know exactly what I've done or how broken I am or how messed up I am or right, whatever it is, you could tell me over coffee. Like maybe, maybe the old version of me was extraordinary. Maybe the old version of me had potential. But I don't know that God is really with me. I... I don't know that God is really for me. Do you know what I've done? Do you know how broken? 1,300 years later after this story, 
There was a guy by the name of Paul. He wrote a big chunk of the New Testament. And, and Paul, Paul is writing to Christians in Rome. And Christians in Rome are being slaughtered by this really mean dude by the name of Nero. In fact, Paul will end up losing his life to Nero. And Peter will end up losing his life to Nero. And there's this verse in the New Testament that says this. 1,300 years later, this isn't the angel saying, Gideon, go, because God is with you. It says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? It is the same thing that God said to Gideon. The angel of the Lord said, Gideon, I know that you don't think of yourself as a warrior. I, don't, I know you don't think of yourself as someone great. But I'm telling you that I see you differently. And 1,300 years later, Paul says to all of us that the Holy Spirit lives in us and that God is with us and that God is for us. And at that point, Paul has to know that the reader is saying, yeah, Paul, I want some proof. How do I know that God is for me? So Paul keeps going. If God is for us, who can be against, or who, if God is for us, who can be against us? He, God, did not spare his own life, but gave him up for us all. Paul's essentially saying, look, if you wonder if God is for you, you need to know that God was willing to give of his, himself and enter into the very creation to be in relationship with you. If you wonder if God loves you, you need to know that God gave of himself. He entered into creation, allowed himself to suffer and die in order to provide liberation and freedom so that you can be the person that God created you to be. And 2,000 years later, we have the same assurance that the God who entered creation and was willing to give of his own life is with us and is for you. I think one of the things I've struggled with more than anything else is believing that God is for me. I always have all these excuses of why God shouldn't be for me, why God should be for somebody else. And over and over and over in the arc and the narrative of Scripture, we are told that God is for us. The story of Gideon ends like this. It's, it's a fascinating story, but it, it ends with, with Gideon being told he's a mighty warrior and he's going to deliver Israel from the hands of the Midianites, and he does. It's a fascinating story, and he does it with like 300 people. He starts off with a fairly large army, and God's like, no, you don't get it. That's not how we're going to do this, and it gets whittled down. But, but, but it doesn't quite, that, that's jumping to the end. Once he's been told he's a mighty warrior and he's hanging out and kind of cowering, this would make a great Veggie Tales, by the way. So he's like cowering, he's cowering in this wine press, shaking. And, and so finally, you know, God's given him this pep talk. You're a mighty warrior. Go and do this. God is with you. The first thing he does is he gets up late at night and he sneaks to one of the pagan temples and he knocks over one of their idols. And then he runs back home, right? That was like him stepping out. He's like, I knocked down an idol. And he's like, it's baby steps, right? It's baby steps. There's a, there's a preacher by the name of Stephen Furtick who, if you've ever heard of Stephen Furtick, like, 
dude just has a way with words um, and energy that I will never have. But he says this. He says, it is dangerous to think of yourself more, it is dangerous to think more highly of yourself than you ought. But it is equally dangerous to think of yourself as less than God does. Can I read that again? It is dangerous to think of yourself more highly than you ought. But it is equally dangerous to think of yourself as less than God does. It's about waking up every day. It's about waking up every day and whether you plan to or not, asking this question, what would an extraordinary person do? What would I do if I really believed that God was with me and for me and in me? Right? What would I do? And so my hope is, my hope is that just for a moment, just for a moment, you could see yourself the way that God does. You could see the plans and potential and purpose that God has placed in your life. And that even though you feel that you are hanging out in a wine press in Midian, cowering in fear, just hoping that life will pass you by and that maybe no one will notice you, that God will show up and say, I need you to see you the way, I need you to see yourself the way that I see you. Get up and go with the assurance that God is is with you. And I hope that this becomes, that this little thing, and just for a week, just try this for a week, every morning, maybe write it on your mirror in your bathroom. Right? What would an extraordinary person do? Or maybe we could make it even a little more churchy, right? What would I do today if I believed that God was with me and that God was for me and that the power of the Spirit was in me? What would I do? And I hope that maybe this would become what becomes a one-week habit can spill into two weeks and three weeks and begin to be how you live your life. And that you will become the extraordinary person that God created and called and designed you to be. I am excited to see how God works in and through you. Let's pray. God, I confess that more often than not, I find myself feeling like Gideon. There's so much chaos and confusion, and it just feels easier to kind of hang out and hide away. I pray that that just for a moment, that just for a moment, that you would help us to see ourselves as you see us, that you would help us to see our potential that you would help us to see our purpose and that you would help us to believe that you are with us, that you are for us and you are in us. And with God on our side, all things are possible. Amen. Amen.